Hello everybody and welcome to the GMS Magazine podcast, the RPG interview room. I am Paco Garcia, your host, and in today's episode I have somebody who's really and genuinely very, very special to me. Uh, I, I have known her for almost 20 years now. She's been a regular in the podcast very often, if anything, just because I absolutely love to hear her voice. But also because I genuinely believe that she is one of the most talented and creative designers of role-playing games in the world right now. And her work is probably going to be remembered as some of the greatest RPGs and development ideas ever, ever. Uh, since she started, she's been producing some absolutely incredible work, uh, with my favorite thus far being Mindjammer, the, the, the science fiction game that is just, I mean, it's the kind of game, it's the science fiction game I like, which is not very many of them, uh, and there are an awful lot, but uh, Mindjammer, yeah, it's very well worth it. But her versatility is, is just absolutely insane, with most and some magic being a fantastic OSR take on, on, on traditional OSR and and some even more. But anyway, um, I'm talking about Sarah Newton, if you didn't know that by the Mind Jammer Q. Uh, so, as I said, I've known her for nearly 20 years now. And uh, I, I knew her when we worked together at a company in the city in London where I, I suffered and worked for a number of months before giving it up and uh, we got together at her place in Essex to to play an adventure that she had designed for Dungeons and Dragons 3.3rd edition 3.5 wasn't out yet and I've always remembered that incredibly fondly uh, not just because we were playing with somebody whose name I can't remember I'm so sorry I really can't remember his name who was from Liverpool and at the time I had only been in the UK for a couple of years and my control and command of the accents wasn't really all that good so I could not understand a word he was saying he, he was really embarrassing uh, at some level but hey I, I was a lot younger then and I just couldn't understand him I'm sorry the accent was really really thick as I remember. But we were playing, uh, the three of us, you know, uh, Chris, Sarah's husband, uh, this this lad and myself, and we, each one of us had two characters, and we were playing in this strange new world that Sarah was describing in minute, beautiful detail, you know, with the name of the days and the name of the months, and all these amazing places like Kordav that we were traveling from and I remember I was I was running uh, with a monk uh, it was a concept character that I really liked an awful lot and a sorceress uh, a sorceress who, who was the monk's pupil and the monk was absolutely in love with her but because of this a teacher and pupil and he was older and she was a lot younger he wouldn't do anything about it. So it, it was a bit of a strange combination of characters to play. Uh, and I remember arriving at this very strange pyramid that had opened a door and that was never opened before. And we weren't tasked with exploring that 
pyramid and retrieving some sort of artifact. So we went into this pyramid. One of the most memorable scenes at the time is when we found this incredibly ancient library completely covered in very fragile books that had not been seen for tens of thousands of years. And there we were trying to figure out what books would be in a fit state to actually be taken with us so they could be studied and, and its secrets to be helpful to our governments and, and our patrons. And suddenly this guy, um, you know, the Liverpoolian, who was running some sort of merchant, I think, or fighter, I can't remember. But much to my absolute horror, because of course my, my monk had to be, you know, some sort of literist um, buff who absolutely loved books. But this guy suddenly buries a, a finger in one of the books and that book completely crumbles into dust with my eyes completely open. And he wrung his finger throughout the whole bookshelf of books after I had spent about 10 minutes questioning and, and asking Sarah if there was anything at all that we could do to save those books from stop crumbling, from stop crumbling and then don't, don't, don't destroy them. And this man runs his finger throughout the whole shelf of books as they crumble into dust behind his finger. And I, I, I looked in horror uh, as everything just disappeared with his finger and then he touched a solid book and we found a tome that um, that was useful that, that was very useful and, and we could take with us so I looked away and um, he did that with every single shelf the, of books that we could find and, and, and I just, just I just couldn't look <laughs> it was silly but I really could look and we'll continue exploring this beautiful maze this fantastic dungeon until we found a way to go down a cave. And of course, my little sorceress, being the brave soul that, that she was, decided to climb down uh, and, and see what was underneath. And there were some strange creatures with tentacles coming off their faces and they were worshipping something. And they pointed at her to go somewhere. Somewhere that didn't look safe, that just didn't feel right. And she decided to climb up as these creatures were following her and, and trying to catch her. And as she was climbing up, we had to do some dexterity checks, which admittedly was not her greatest skill. And after two of those rolls, she was just about to get to the top. I, I had her at the grasp, but we just about to get her. And my hands and fingers were just barely touching and then I fail a roll and she plummeted down in, in, into the void and, and I never saw her again and um, both me and my character was completely dismayed. That is a kind of absolutely amazing experience that I, I had the immense honor and pleasure of, of living with Sarah the, the, the few times that we played together and we played in the Chronicles of Future Earth, what has now become a fully-fledged, completely new, original and absolutely fascinating world that is currently being funded in Kickstarter and it has already been funded 
in Kickstarter. So as you can imagine, I had to have Sarah here to ask her an awful lot of questions and be very, very excited about this this new venture, which I think is going to be just uh, fantastic. And trust me, it's, it's not because Sarah is my friend, it's because I've been there. I've seen that world, I have lifted. And I can promise you that if you give it a chance, it, it's going to reward you in ways that you cannot imagine yet. But not don't, don't just trust me in what I'm saying. I mean, by all means, do, please. But listen now to Sarah. Uh, because this interview, the way she talks about Korudav and the whole world and Chronicles of Future Earth, this is special. Seriously. This is a very special game. I hope you enjoy the interview. Sarah, at last. Oh my God, this is so exciting. I don't think, I've, I've always been very excited to have you around, but I don't think I've ever been this excited to have you around. Hello. I know, isn't it amazing, <laughs> Paco? It's what, how, almost 20 years we've been talking about this setting and finally, finally, it's coming into reality. It's brilliant. Yes, yes, absolutely. Oh, oh my God. Um, Okay, why now? First of all, well, oh, well, oh my God, this, I, I'm so excited. I'm forgetting my manners. Sorry, sorry. Okay, <laughs> right. Let's start with um, the warm up. Just, just to make sure that you know we, we right. get into okay. the, the swing of answering and questions and asking questions and stuff. So, um, right. Yes. Question number one: Tea or coffee? Oh, tea, definitely. Okay. Gosh, what a question! Fine, that, that's a. <laughs> Okay. Um, Oceans of tea. More tea than anybody can imagine. Um, the mountain or the beach? The mountain. Okay. Definitely, Good. yes. Gazing over the world alone with the clouds below me and the stars above. Good. Definitely. That's an amazing answer. Um, motorbikes or cars? Cars, actually, because uh, I, I just love driving at night with the radio on in the warm, um, watching, the, watching the road go by. Okay. Now, this might be a little bit um, harder. Right, okay. Fantasy or science fiction? Is there a difference? Oh, um, yeah. Oh, come on. I suppose ultimately science fiction because it's all about ideas. But that doesn't mean when I do fantasy it isn't about ideas also. It's a really crap answer, isn't it? No, it's, it's, it's an answer. That's that's what matters. That, that we get okay. the fans. Right, last question. And this is also a little bit, well, for some people, it's harder than for others. Uh, mm. Zombies or vampires? Vampires. <laughs> yeah, just definitely. I mean, I don't like either of them, really. Uh, but, but, but zombies are just so dull. At least Aww. vampires, you can have a good conversation with them. You know, I think if, you know, vampires have got a bit of taste, they like music, you know, they go to clubs, that kind of thing. But no, zombies are just... I've been a zombie. I was a zombie for years, you know, and, and I don't recommend it, you know. That's true. There's definitely vampires. That's true. I've, I've been a zombie, you know. Well, I am a zombie pretty much every day when I wake up. <laughs> you are not. I, when I wake up, oh, you have not seen me when I wake up. I, I Until I have breakfast and a shower, I am the embodiment of zombification. It's, uh, it's, it's, I'm a different person completely. That brings us back to tea and coffee again, doesn't it? That's that's the only reason I'm not a zombie is absolutely, tea. Absolutely, absolutely. And for the record, every morning I have one of each. So, um, ah, exactly. I have gosh. a cup of tea first, uh, and then I have a cup of coffee. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So I can see how that would work. Coffee, um, coffee first is just too much, isn't it? That's too much of a jolt. Yeah, and it would. I, I, I just I drink. 
Go ahead. No, no, I was gonna say, just coffee first, it would just give me a boost of energy, so I would feel I don't need anything else. Um, and tea would feel betrayed by me, and I don't want, feel to, <laughs> I don't want tea to feel that way. I, I like tea, so um, that's, that's you know, my freaky way. <laughs> awesome. Right, let's talk uh, Chronicles of Future Earth. Um, because, yeah, as you said, you know, we, we played this um, literally nine, nearly 20 years ago now, in 19, in 2000, um, I think it is, when we met. Or, or I was thinking it was 1999, but that, that could just be me. It was it was D&D 3rd Edition, wasn't it? It had just come yes. out, more or less. Yeah. Yes, yes, it was. Yeah. Oh, my God. Anyway, why now? Because this is second... Okay, well, first, oh, you see, this is so many questions I've just... Um, <laughs> is this the second edition of Chronicles of Future Earth that you published uh, all those years ago? Or is this a completely brand spanking new uh, Chronicles of Future Earth game? That's a hard one. I think I'll answer that all, all at once. Okay. Why now is why not earlier? You know, it's, it's basically I, I started running Mindjammer Press about five years ago. Um, and it's taken that long for everything to settle down so we could actually get focused on on the Chronicles of Future Earth. First or second edition, really, the, the question is, is the system. Um, I mean, we're using a different system this time. Um, but the first Chronicles of Future Earth book that was published by Chaosium in 2010 was really an introduction to the setting. Mm -hmm. um, so it wasn't really a full setting book. It focused on the city of Korodav. Um, it had... Um, rules for monsters and magic and, and artifacts and things like that and a certain amount of setting background and character generation material but it was only about I can't remember the actual page count it was it was 100 120 pages something like that yeah and um, so it's a really slim booklet um, so in a, in a sense the, what we're doing now is actually the full version of that game um, so is it a second edition it's kind of like the proper edition um, except it is using a different system. So in that sense, I suppose you would have to consider it a, sec a separate edition. Okay, I like the answer an awful lot because um, mm. I've been up, I bought the game when, when you released it. Uh, and I always thought, oh, this is... Uh, I, I know there's so much more to this that I can find in this book. Uh, and, and I like the flavour uh, quite a lot. Uh, so yeah, I, I, can, I can understand... Uh, this being a much, much, much bigger thing. But also, you have already supported it, uh, which you did the same with Mindjammer, by getting mm. the novel before the game. So people can already go to Kurudaf and see all those places before they even buy the game. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's one thing. I was always writing the two alongside one another. Um, you know, the, the, I suppose the RPG, when we played it together back in 1999, that that came first. But I started writing the novel probably around 2008, 2009, finally finished it in about 2013. Um, it did the rounds a, a while with an agent and then we published it in 2015, I think it was, mm -hmm. um, perhaps 2016. 16, I um, think. So it was... Yeah, it was it was very useful to have that in the background. Um, my ideas about the setting sort of evolved over time. Um, but I think it's a very good way when you're a writer to exercise the desire to tell the story too strictly. Um, I think I think when you write a role playing game, what you mustn't do is try and tell a story. You must present the tools to tell a story. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have a story in your head. Um, then you need to get that out of your system before you start writing a good role-playing game. And I, I think for me, writing the fiction is a way of getting that story down on paper um, and so that I don't feel the need to try and persuade people in the game to, to follow a storyline that I've made up. 
Um, so it's basically avoid avoids the temptation to railroad when you write scenarios. I think if you've got a if you've got a fiction line already running parallel. Um, but one of the things that has been quite cool this time is um, is that when I when I came finally to sit down and think, okay, we're going to do the full line now. Um, where do we start in the history of Korodav, in the history of the Venerable Autocracy? Um, I thought, well, you know, the novel's already out there. Let's start just after the novel. So rather than having that temptation to uh, for people to try and play the events of the novel in the campaign, um, I thought, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to retell the novel in scenario form or in campaign form. Let's start straight afterwards. Um, so it's really kind of cool. You can read the novel as your prequel to the game, if you like, um, and then start off in the uh, in the aftermath, which is where the game's set. That sounds oh oh that sounds uh, you know I think actually that's a very clever idea um, because I can see what you're saying about not railroading, but then on the other hand it could be said that if you uh, publish the novel, you're already giving people the flavor uh, how how things are and and telling them how. The whole set, the whole setting behaves, but if if, if it's going to be placed after the novel, and the events mm. on the novel can be quite epic, I mean the the, the right. aftermath yeah. can be quite you know decisive in how the whole world is going to evolve. I think that makes sense because people can do with with that whatever they want. Yeah, and I think also it's kind of one of the issues. Um, with any setting that you create, um, if you're creating a setting with a lot of background, a lot of depth, um, you also want to shake things up so that the player characters can have an impact. Um, what 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 is for me really dull as a game is to have a setting that is too crystallized, too too focused, and too set, um, so that your players are in there thinking, "Well, yeah, this is great. This is really detailed. But what do I do?" Hmm. Um, so with both Mind Jammer and the Commonality and um, Chronicles and the Venerable Autocracy. Um, one thing that you know both novels have done, and also which the setting does itself, is really um, destabilize things. Um, so that you, you're entering a game world that, yes, it's thousands of years old, and it has a, an amazing amount of culture and history and background, but things are also really shook up, and there's, there's everything to play for, and your characters can make a difference. Um, because I, I do like that epic play. I, I don't. I don't want a setting where everyone has to be, you know, a zombie. You know, where yeah. everyone has to sort of sit around and just try and work out what to do. I want it to be obvious. You know, there's a big threat. There's a big danger. There's a lot to play for. You know, we get involved. I, I like that. And, and the things you're you're absolutely right. That's that's a very common thing in your games because in in Mindjammer, even in the novel, um, the the protagonists do get involved in some events that could change entire planets. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I think, you know, you know when, we're, when we're sitting down to play a game, uh, I don't know, I, I want a game that if everybody wants to play once or twice a week for five years, there's enough material to do that. But also I wanted a game where people who maybe don't get together so often, uh, maybe they get together once every month or two, maybe just two or three times a year, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, but, but they can play something substantial and meaningful, no matter how many sessions you're, you want to commit to it. Um, so there's a possibility in the Chronicles to, to play that zero to hero um, path over lots and lots of, of sessions um, if you want to. Mm -hmm. But also you can jump straight in there and tackle the really big issues um, and have epic games without having to spend 100 sessions building your character. 
um, you know, you can you can really just leap in there and play uh, and do some big stuff. So I think I think both as I, as I, as I've aged as a gamer, you know, the time I have to dedicate to gaming um, is less than it was when I than when I was a student, for example, when we just used to play for hours and yeah, for days, days and just go through loads of campaigns, you know. But I still want to be able to provide that kind of experience for those people who who have the luxury to do that, who have the chance to do that, and, and go for it, and good luck, and that's awesome. But at the same time, yeah, you need to have um, the ability to play it in a slightly more infrequent format as well. Okay, I realize that we're talking about this as two people who actually know what we're talking about. But I know. <laughs> <laughs> but listeners may not. So, okay, give me the, uh, the elevator pitch for uh, Chronicles of Future Earth. Right, the Chronicles of Future Earth. This time we, we decided to give it a subtitle. It's called Cosmic Fantasy Role-Playing in the Post-Historical Age. Um, it's it's a, it feels like fantasy. It's a fantasy game. It has magic and monsters and demons and sorcery, but it's set in the very very far future of our own planet Earth. Um, there is there has been a massive interstellar civilization which collapsed disastrously into a huge dark age which lasted for thousands of years. After that, there's been tens of thousands of years of history, full of contradictions, full of confusion, full of lost knowledge and lost information and collapsed civilizations. Until now, the Chronicles of Future Earth is set in a, a time of the springtide civilizations. It's maybe a hundred thousand years in the future. Um, and the, the Earth itself has settled into this kind of conservative, decadent, but also quite fragile status quo. There are ruins everywhere of ancient cities and civilizations. There are lost technologies which people can still sometimes use even though they don't fully understand. The, the legions of the venerable autocracy use flame lances, um, which are powered by strange conduits of energy called manatimes, which exist beneath the cities. Um, and presumably connect to some kind of power source deep within the earth. Nobody understands what these are, um, but they power strange artifacts. The the Autarch of Korodav until recently had something called a flyer, which was like a crystal teardrop um, in the in the atrium of time in his palace, um, which was stolen and which flew off. Uh, somebody repaired it and and used its energies to to fly through the air and and escape from the city. Um, so there are these strange artifacts which still exist, but at the same time there are gods. There are there are twenty gods, and the gods have commandments which have to be followed in order to preserve the earth from destruction. Because there's a an ancient myth called the the Helimoriad. It's the, the founding text, really, of the like, kind of like the Bible for the autocracy, which tells of the fight, uh, the Armageddon of the gods, when the great hegemonist and the reaver gods almost destroyed the world. And it was only by virtue of the, the, the gods helping uh, humanity understand how to repel the great hegemonist, drive him back beyond the veil into other dimensions and preserve the earth that civilization and humankind has been able to survive on, up until today. So everyone is, they, they follow these commandments, they have a way to live which they know will preserve the earth, but nothing really changes and nothing has changed for, for thousands of years. The, the venerable autocracy itself is 15,000 years old. Um, it's gone through five cycliads of 3,000 years. 
Um, each time cities being rebuilt on top of one another. So there are vast under cities um, beneath every every great city. There's an ice age which sees the, the earth 15,000 years ago at the beginning of the venerable autocracy, which has meant that on planet earth in the future, all the sea levels have retreated, revealing continental shells which now have cities built upon them, which is where um, the venerable autocracy and the springtide civilizations exist. Um, in the north of um, of the uh, springtide civilizations, the great wastes of Eurasia, which are frozen tundra and taiga, um, but inhabited by chaos creatures um, who are being kept at bay um, by protectors of the autocracy. Um, and they're following the, the, um, the commandments of the gods to, to, to keep chaos, to keep destruction at bay. So that's the, the setting. It's, it's, it's cosmic fantasy. There are things called planing machines, which um, exist usually beneath the cities. Um, they're devices which seem to connect to other worlds, but in unpredictable ways. There are not hundreds of these, there are very few, um, but they connect to, to other, um, other worlds where strange cousins of man called the Janiri, who are kind of like um, evolutionary divergent hominids who are still in contact with the earth and they bring through things like metals because the earth is so old um, its mines have been exhausted there's no longer any metal in the earth um, instead of metal everyone uses something called alagin which is a kind of natural fiberglass which is um, grown by a species of uh, what are frankly aliens called the spider folk or the sun um, there are many different types of these uh, non-humans living uh, in the future Earth. Um, so this is this huge, complex civilization, and yet it's completely accessible. It feels like fantasy. You don't have elves walking down the street. Uh, you might have Viriki, who are blue-skinned, psionics, um, humanoids. Um, instead of dwarves, for example, um, you might have the Magigi red giants, who are the... Um, the, the they live in the volcanic regions of the Hagia range in the east of the autocracy, um, and they deal with forges and they worship a god called Daf or a god of flame and so on. Um, so it's, this, it's a big setting, um, but at the same time, it's very accessible. Um, you, can, you can play it like fantasy with this technological undercurrent. Um, and the simple fact is it's the post-historical age. You know, there's, there's been so much history um, that it almost seems not to matter anymore. It's almost impossible to grasp what has happened. There's been so much time passed that everyone feels like they're existing in this kind of eternal present, surrounded by ruins. Um, and everyone's kind of in this slumberous state of, you know, there's a, a, a very strict hierarchical society. People have hereditary occupations. There are legions and priesthoods and sorcerer schools. But there's also this ever-present danger that they're the great hegemonists, the reaver gods, the chaos beasts, live just outside reality. And now, at the end of the fifth cycliad, it looks like things are starting to fall apart. There's been a huge explosion in a city called Korodav, um, and there have been chaos beasts rampaging in the north of the autocracy, infecting people and mutating them. Um, and suddenly everyone's scared. You know, what do they do? The, the gods tell them they mustn't change because the world will end. But the old ways don't work anymore. Um, and that's the current present of the setting. So that's the kind of a capsule overview. Does, does that give you the gist? I, it does. I just want to keep hearing you talk about it for the rest of the day. Because that, oh. 
Oh. It's a big setting. It's a big setting, but you can see you can grasp it, can't you? It's not oh. something that's too, yeah. It's just so goddamn good. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, I mean, I'm biased, okay? I, uh, people, listen, I, I am biased, but seriously, this is this is the stuff quality. It's just amazing. Now, um, I, I do need to ask you a, a hard question, but I know that some yes, people are yep. going to be wondering this. And, mm -hmm. and I think, uh, you know... Um, I want to be the the, the man to to ask you this this question. Go ahead, go for it. Yeah. Um, there are uh, other games that do what Chronicles of Future Earth does. You know, uh, Numerera okay. does this, or Lost Civilizations behind you. Although I know mm. that Chronicles of Future Earth was much much before Numerera. So um, yes. for people who already have that sort of setting and and wondering, well, why would I want to have another game of Lost Civilizations? Uh, and uh, lost technology that looks and feels and can be sort of like like magic. How does Chronicle of Future differentiate itself? What does it have to offer that other games, and I don't mean just Numerera, uh, but any kind of game that does this, which are many, uh, pretty much any post-apocalyptic game does that. What does Chronicle mm -hmm. of Future Earth have to offer that's different uh, and interesting and new? Okay, well, I think the... First of all, I, I actually don't know very much about Numenera, I must confess. I, I know it exists. Um, and when it first came out, I thought, wow, that, that looks like Chronicles. Um, but from from talking to people, I'm very aware of its concept. Um, the Numenera are these artifacts which you have to find. Mm -hmm. um, I, I see the artwork, which is gorgeous. Um, I, I've been talking to people recently about, about their impressions of Numenera. And, and from what I can see, um, Chronicles really takes a different tack. Um, Chronicles is very much embedded in in the the the, the future of our Earth in, in a historical timeline at which it's at the end. It's not in this sort of a historical, very very far future. Um, it's in a it's in a, um, a a sort of post historical, like I say, era of civilization um, where um, the the past is not completely forgotten. The past is all around. Um, and there are archives, there are records, people are in contact with it, but there's so much of it that it seems almost irrelevant. Um, I think if you were to compare it to other role-playing games, um, I, I'm not quite sure whether there are that many that are doing exactly this. There are there are, there are science fantasy role-playing games. Um, I think Tecumel is the very obvious one. Yes. Um, that's, that's what many people would compare the Chronicles to. I think that's a fairly valid comparison. Um, I, I, I love Tecumel. Um, if you like, um, Tecumel is a separate world, obviously, it's a separate mm -hmm. planet. And it's based very much on Professor Barker's view of Middle Eastern and Oriental civilizations. Um, if you like, if you want me to sort of compare and contrast Chronicles and Tecumel, Chronicles is, is set on the planet Earth. And it's and it's using planet Earth's historical themes. Um, it's based on a collapsed global civilization, and it's set in the Mediterranean basin. Mm -hmm. um, the venerable autocracy is basically the the, the, the Iberian Peninsula, mm -hmm. plus the western part of Africa. Um, Northern Europe is 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 the the chaos wastes. Um, the the sea level is a lot lower. Um, over the ocean of Tlan to the west, there are the mythical lands of Nayarak and High Brazil, which we will be exploring. Um, and there's all kinds of stuff. Let me, I will one day tell you about the Caliphate of Ornia, um, which is, I just love that name. And uh, I've got some, some, some great visualizations for that. Um, but it's, it's more playing with the, 
the notions of the, the, the distorted future refractions of our current civilization rather than trying to rebuild a new civilization based on, on Middle Eastern and Oriental civilizations, which is the, the Tecumel approach. Um, I think it's, it's less science than Jorun, mm-hmm. for example. Um, also, it's a little bit less alphabet spaghetti, um, and, and I'd say that with all love for Jorun. Um, we, with with the chronicles, I wanted something that was that felt nostalgic. Yeah, I, I wanted. I basically, the, if you want a capsule explanation of the inspiration for the chronicles, it's the artwork of Bruce Pennington. Um, there is Bruce Pennington is a spectacular artist. He's so well known. He did so many of the new English library covers in the 1960s, 70s and 80s. Um, he did the covers for Dune, um, all the Gene Wolfe stuff, which again you could see as a, as, as, a, uh, as a refraction of the same far future science fantasy dying earth feel that Chronicles also has. Um, he did the, the Pastel City um, cover, which is again a glorious thing that, that inspired me as a child, um, as an early gamer in fact, and I still love that piece. Um, so I really wanted when I was initially working on Chronicles and I've been I've had it in my head for I've been working actively on it for 20 years, but it's been in my head for over 30. Um, it's the the artwork of Bruce Pennington. I wanted a world where that artwork looked like the reality. Um, you know, I wanted a world that looked like Bruce Pennington's artwork, um, where there's there's strange, unfathomable structures, and there's um, this contrast of, you know, um, a, a man on on horseback in ragged robes with a sword and a laser rifle, looking over an ancient city that looks like, I don't know, Alexandria, but it's on fire, and there's a flying saucer coming out of it, you know, and those kind of contrasts are, 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 are for me lovely. Um, so I wanted really a game that refracted and reflected those kind of um, influences. I'm not quite sure whether there's any other role-playing games that do specifically what Chronicles is trying to do, which is kind of why I wanted to do it. Um, you know, I, I think that you can certainly see influences of Glorantha in there with the deep cosmology, mm-hmm. but the cosmology of, of, um, of the Chronicles is, is, a, is a very human cosmology. It's not a. We're not looking at divine mysteries here. We're looking at historical mysteries. Um, we're looking at sins of the past, which have created the present day. You know what happened to cause this massive collapse of civilization? Where do these gods come from? What's going on? Um, these are the big questions which need answering. Um, so I think that's this from from my point of view the originality of the setting. Um, from the point of view of the rules, this is a system which is based on fate core. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I would call it a fate core game. Um, it's it's very heavily modified. We can go into that in a bit more detail later if you want. Yes. Um, I, it's it's changed from the original fate core. It's changed even from the mind jammer rules, which it's based on, to emulate the the cosmic fantasy. Um, genre, which for me is all about high risk, high danger, mind blowing events, um, and also zero to hero. The, the hero path is still very much part of uh, of cosmic fantasy in, in, in my book. Um, so I think I think that having having a fate core game which approached cosmic fantasy um, was very important to me, and at the same time, to to have a in the same way that Mind Jammer is a science fiction toolbox. With a, with a setting, a very deep setting. I wanted the Chronicles of Future Earth to be a fantasy toolbox with a very deep setting as well. Um, so 
it's modular in the same way Mindjammer was. In a sense, it's a spiritual successor to Legends of Anglaire. Right. Um, Legends of Anglaire was very, very definitely on the fantasy side of cosmic fantasy. Um, even though it, the Anglaire setting itself occasionally has some technological twist, um, tweaks to it and, 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 and tastes to it. Um, the, but there also was the Hither Kingdom setting, which, uh, which I created for Legends of Anglaire. Um, so in a sense, the Chronicles is, is updating that ethos for the Fate Core era. Um, Legends of Anglais was third edition Fate. This is, this is Fate Core fantasy. Um, but again, it's modular and, and you can use it to play any of your fantasy games, basically. Um, so that's kind of the, the where I'm coming from with presenting the game in the setting. Um, does that answer your question with regard to comparing it to other similar games? Uh, Are yes. there any other games? Yeah. No, no, more, more, it, it does. It does definitely... Um... It is pretty obvious it is a different game. And even though there are the similarities of, you know, yeah, the lost civilizations and, and, and this technology that is, is hard to understand. But it's pretty obvious to me that the ethos of the whole thing is extremely different from from anything else uh, that I have seen thus far. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, but to be honest, I, I don't care about that because your game and I've been there and I like it already. So it doesn't matter. Um, of course, what I mean, I, I've. I've tried to make it in, in its own in its own way very unique. Um, you know, I, I have been working on it independently for, for like I say, twenty years, um, and it does have a whole lot of influences. You know, when you when you pick it up, you'll think, oh God, yeah, this is this is from there, this is from there. People have talked about Hawk Moon um, when when looking at the flame lances and things like that. Um, you know, that they've looked at um, at Stormbringer for the demons and, and that kind of thing. You know, there, I, I've been a gamer for the past forty years, and and I've got so many influences packed in my head that uh, you know when you when you create your own fantasy world you you think okay this is what i wanted to have um but i think at the same time the the amalgam of all of those things has created a setting that's that is unique um i think it is original um and i think also it's in the same way that mindjammer tackles modern themes in a in a science fiction setting um i think also the chronicles is tackling a lot of modern 21st century themes in a in a fantasy setting as well which hopefully people will find quite quite fun yes i agree i, I think the, the thing with what you're doing um the expression that comes to mind is that uh, the result is bigger than the sum of its parts yes yeah yeah i hope so and i think i think that's um it always it's always the same when you when you build a world you know you start off um, it's kind of like building a courtyard you can't build a courtyard you you build the walls and the courtyard appears in the middle of it um and i think with a with a universe you do the same thing you start to you start to put things in place and it's only the as they as they begin to interact that 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 the the sum total begins to appear you know it's this it's this summoning process you have all your material components you cast the spell and you know what comes out is sometimes a little bit different from what you expected but it's nearly always greater than its components hmm. right okay um let's talk about the the modifications to the to the fate core because you, you have been a fate fan since well ever so how what are pretty you doing? much yeah what, what are you doing with this now Right. Well, there's. I've I've played a lot of Fate, um, and and I love it. It's a great system. Um, and Fate Core is a fantastic um, addition of some fantastic version of the rules. Um, in Mindjammer, it, it works great. We we really ex extrapolated from the from the bones of Fate Core to to create a, a very complete framework. 
um, for for science fiction gaming. And I think I think the 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 way it's embodied in Mindjammer works very well. When you transfer it to fantasy, um, the there's two two things can happen. Fate by by design um, is a game where um, where the narrative interaction of players is often greater than the random effect of things like dice. Um, so you find a lot of negotiation happens at the table, which is great. That's what it's designed for. Um, if you put that into a game environment where your goal is to present real visceral danger to the players, where there's the risk of loss and the risk of of harm, injury and catastrophe in the game. And then you subject that to the rules of negotiation rather than dice. You, you end up in a situation where you're just constantly trying to arbitrarily decide whether or not everybody dies. Basically, um, you know, in, in Fate, there is a that I noticed when playing very, very high risk fantasy in Fate, that players had a tendency to hoard Fate points until the very, very end, which was a bit of a bummer during the during play. Hmm. Uh, but they knew that by the very, very end, they'd have to spend all of their Fate points to create one huge bonus um, and defeat the big bad in the boss fight. Yeah. So partly that's that's a learning process for me to structure my scenarios better. Um, but also, I think it's it's something that is inherent in the system when you when you try and um, emulate a certain type of genre using using the fake core um, rules. Um, that's not a shortcoming for fake core at all. It just indicates where the dials have to be placed, and and, and fate is very dialable in that respect. Um, so what we've done with the chronicles is um, I've basically restructured the the the, the central um, rules dials to allow for a greater degree of danger and a greater degree of the rules um, creating problems for you that you cannot simply negotiate away or defeat by saving up all your fate points. Mm. Um, so there, there are the two major tools I had in the arsenal. One of them was to change the dice mechanic. Yeah, um, the, the fate core the, the four, four dice, the four fate dice used um, in fate tend to have a result that's nearly always between plus one and minus one. Okay. So that minimizes the importance of the dice. Um, skills become very important and aspect invokes become very important. Um, in fact, aspect invokes become the main tool for changing how your score, how your result is determined. Yeah. Um, so suddenly everyone's trying to spend fate points and, and obviously compelled to gain fate points back to, to change the results of the dice. So that puts the the control very much in the hands of the players and in the hands of negotiation with the GM and not in the hands of the dice. Yeah. Um, I wanted something that was a little bit more random, um, something where the dice could suddenly get everyone groaning at the table. Oh, no, what's happened? Um, you know, a minus four or a plus four on the fate dice. I can't remember the odds off the top of my head, but it's something incredibly small. Um, I'm trying to remember now, one, one in every 216, something like that. Okay. It's, it's not a very common event. By changing it to D6 minus D6, which is basically the same dice roll that we used in Star Blazer Adventures and Legends of Anglaire, you suddenly have a, a, a very much greater chance of getting a disastrously poor or epically good dice roll result. Um, so the, the, the bell curve is much flatter. Yeah, you'll, you'll end up with a much greater uh, frequency of good and bad results, which suddenly takes some of the negotiation out of it. You, you, you have to, you're not all about trying to offset danger and end up 
hitting, hitting a kind of middle ground. You're in the situation where you're dealing with danger. The danger has happened. The harm has been done. You have to deal with that. And that, for me, is really where things get exciting. You know, you're not in 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 fake or in in Mindjammer, for example. You're all about trying to stop yourself taking that critical wound. Right. Um, in in Chronicles, you've taken the critical wound. Now, what do you do? Um, so it's it's basically shifting the danger parameters off towards the danger end of the spectrum. Um, on top of that, I, I also added a bit more randomness in um, to the scale mechanics. Um, now, with the D6 minus D6, your positive die is usually a glorious golden gold, golden orange color called a hero die. And your, your negative die is a, a, a somber, brooding purple color, which is your doom die. Doom is a very key concept in the Chronicles. You roll your hero die and you subtract from it the result of your doom die. But you can roll more than one of each sometimes. Yeah, you can you can incarnate your avatar if you want. If you're if you're a priest of a god, you can suffuse yourself with divine power and roll two hero dice, which suddenly gives you a massively. It's basically a plus one to six bonus. So it's like a super invoke, but it's random. Yeah. Um, on the on the flip side, if you're in a situation where you're fighting some um, some some massively powerful creature, you may end up having to take a, an extra doom die. Um, so you roll two doom dice and subtract that from your hero dice. So you end up with a much worse result. Um, so it introduces, a, again, a greater element of swing into the system, swinginess into the system. Um, and I think on, on top of that, I've introduced um, critical failure and critical success results, which basically prevent you sometimes under certain circumstances from mitigating um, your dice roll by overloading bonuses, for example. Um, so, for example, if you if you do a critical success, which basically means you roll a six on your hero die and a one on your doom die, then your your damage will go through the opponent's armor. Mm-hmm. And likewise, if somebody hits you, that will happen to you. So suddenly the dice begin to mean something uh, and, and it becomes exciting to see what happens when you roll the dice. You're not about trying to disprove the dice. You're not about trying to to defuse what the dice say. You're about trying to cope with what the dice have told you happens. Um, so that for me was quite a difference in flavor from from standard fake core. Um, the second big thing that I did, and it's a bit of a shorter explanation this time, is something called the bonus cap. Um, and basically, um, I love the zero to hero path, in, 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 especially in fantasy role playing games. I think it's really important that you can start as, you know, you're, you're a little piddling pickpocket on the streets of Korodav. You're going to end up as a warlord and general of the armies. It's the path that you take to go from one to, to from A to Z that's really exciting for me. Um, one thing that I didn't want to happen is for that little piddling pickpocket to be able to create a massive plus 10 bonus on his die roll because his mates helped him. Um, now, in, in standard fake core, that's possible. And, and it became a tactic, I found at tables, that people would actually save up, the, save up all their fake points and then give, this, give one of the characters this massive bonus, which, to be honest, felt a little bit unrealistic. Yeah. Um, you've, got, you've got a guy who's got a plus one skill in, in, in melee combat suddenly getting this whacking plus 10 bonus um, because his mates have helped him. Hmm. It's, a, well, he's, he's kind of, it's not an Olympic champion per se, but he's been helped by all his mates. And it, it becomes a tactic which reduces, for me, in, in, especially in the, in the arena of epic cosmic fantasy, it reduces the inventiveness of players because they're all using this same tactic all the time because it's so overwhelmingly powerful. 
rather than exploring different ways of solving the problem they're using the same tactic so the bonus cap is very simple all it does it says you can the maximum bonus that you can get from things like invokes um, and teamwork bonuses and so on is equal to your skill plus one yeah mm-hmm. so if you've got a plus one skill in something you're the biggest bonus you can get is a plus two right um, and it's a, it's a very simple rule. Um, and what it does is it encourages everyone to find other ways to do things. Um, and, and suddenly I found at the table, everything becomes much more dynamic. Yeah. Suddenly everyone's taking their own actions. They're not they're not hoarding fate points because they know there's not that much point. Um, they're spending fate points more freely. They're gaining them back. And, and suddenly the stakes feel very much higher because you know, if you are a, a bit of a farty pickpocket and you're in a dangerous situation, you can't always fate point your way out of things. You can't always invoke your way out of danger. You have to find other ways to, to cope with the, the, the problems that occur. Um, so for me, it, it, at table, I, I think we've, we've, given, um, we've made a, a quick start and introductory adventure called The Swallower of Souls. And that's available for free. It's in PDF. You can download it right now. Um, have a look at it. You know, um, it's really cool to play. It's there's probably one or two sessions of play. It's set in the in the Eternal City in Kados, the capital of um, the Venerable Autocracy. It's a, it's an urban cosmic fantasy adventure, and um, some really wacky stuff happens. But also, I think if you play it, play it not how you would normally play Fate Core. Play play the rules as written in the in the booklet that you've downloaded. Really. Look at those and play them, and I think you'll you'll see how the the gameplay changes, and how it becomes much more tactical. Um, I've introduced some tactical innovations. The, the the dice mechanic really does change how things feel, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. It's it's for me it's creating the the fantasy experience in Fate that I really wanted, and um, something that's something that's tactical, something that's zero to hero, where, where your, your character's magnitude matters and where all the character's individual actions as individual heroes matter too. One thing, that's a hell of an explanation. Well, no, but that's, that's actually pretty good. I, I, I do like the way that that sounds because one of the things about fate that I have um, that I have noticed, firstly, what you said about you know being able to help in, in uh, tasks that it should not have that much capability of being helped, you know, like like fighting. You're you're very good at fighting, and yes, somebody might distract your enemy for a bit, but that doesn't mean that just all of a sudden you can get you know take on somebody who is ten times stronger than you just because somebody's goading them. It's a sort of very similitude that uh, can get lost. So I, I can see that that changing is 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 quite quite a good thing. That alone just makes it worth it for me. So. So that's. I think. Excellent. I think. You know. In, in, it's not. A, it's not an, any kind of weakness in Fate Core. It's just something that that aspect of of the game that the ver- very similitude you're talking about is something that in Fate Core has to be negotiated. Yes. Um, at, the, at the table, so you everyone around the table has to say, okay, there's no way that my character is going to get a plus ten bonus in this. Um, so it's something that has to be negotiated around the table. Um, all all that I've done in in Chronicles is I've kind of codified it. I've made it into it. There, there are rules which which um, affect um, how that how that works. So it's no longer a question of constant negotiation around the table. And um, there are rules within play that you can you can minimax them, um, you know. Um, but also it, it just provides a rules backbone for something that I found previously was was open to abuse, but was always needed to be negotiated at the mm-hmm. table. No, I agree. Uh, we have a mention that you are in Kickstarter right now with this, and it has already been funded. 
So uh, I think people should it go. It has, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and it was very quick. I think it's, has it been the quickest game that you've ever funded in, in Kickstarter? Was this quicker than Mindjammer? It actually was. Yeah, I think it was. Um, as, if I remember correctly, I think we I think we funded in with Mindjammer on the second day. I'm not entirely sure, but I think it was with with the Chronicles. We we funded within nine hours, just under nine hours, which was awesome. Yes. Um, we we did this. Um, I, I actually took a different approach to to the Kickstarter this time. Um, this is this is my third Kickstarter, and you always learn so much from running each Kickstarter. Chronicles was something that was very dear to me. Um, and, I, and I was really hoping, I still obviously really am hoping, this is just day four today, um, that the backers, all of you lovely backers out there, thank you so much for your support, um, that you're going to to allow me and allow Mindjammer Press to to produce a, a, a whole line of, of supplements for, uh, for the Chronicles. Um, and in doing so, the way we've done it is we've presented in a slightly different way this time. Um, we set our initial goal at £10,000. Um, but rather than having that fund one whacking great rulebook, um, we split things up a little bit. We started off with a slightly more modestly sized rulebook, still everything you needed to play, but maybe not the entire kitchen sink as well, um, plus a GM screen, plus fate tokens, plus what we're calling Chronicles dice, which are basically a combination D6 and, 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 and fate die, um, plus a map. Um, so all of these basic goodies were wrapped up into something called a, a chronicler pack. And the basic price for that um, is £80. Mm. Yeah, so it's about $100. So if you think about that, first of all, you're getting the, the core book, the screen, the map, um, the fate dice, and 25 fate tokens. Yeah. Um, so, so it's already a good deal. But on top of that, what we did was we, we built in stretch goals to boost what you get in that chronicler pack. Yeah. Um, and we've already been unlocking those stretch goals. So so in addition, you now get the Tower of Virigu, um, which is um, an adventure um, for for the Chronicles, um, which if you if you're if you're a, a bit of an aficionado of the, of the worm within, you'll recognize the name. It's the it's the place where the Tungudi lives in yeah. the uh, in the in the um, Timosian properties. Um, and you also get the player character folio, which is uh, for each player of the game you can have this 16-page um, booklet which contains setting background rules summaries character generation material um, character information character sheet and so on um, so all of that comes now as part of the the chronicler pack so just to recap core book screen map dice tokens adventure and player character folio so it's a lot of material already and that's 80 pounds we're running an early bird um Reward, a pledge level, right now, which lasts until the end of today. So I don't know whether this is going out today. Well, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I don't think I'm going to be able, but I'm going to try. If we do, that would be awesome. That's Monday, the, uh, the the 1st of October, till the end of Monday, the 1st of October. Um, you can also get all of that, plus all of the PDFs um, that we release throughout the entire campaign. Um, so it's a very good early bird deal. Um, from as of tomorrow, that early that um, all of the PDFs will be a, a slightly more. I think it's an extra twenty pounds for all of the PDFs. But you will still be able to get this Chronicler pack for eighty pounds. It includes the PDFs of everything in the Chronicler pack, and the Chronicler pack itself is going to increase in size as we go along. Um, the the next uh, uh, stretch goal we have immediately in front of us now is doubling the size of the Tower of Virigu scenario. At uh, 20,000, we're going to increase the size of the core book. We're going to add in the kitchen sink, basically, which includes the complete corridor 
of campaign gazetteer encounters, um, full details on absolutely all of the 20 gods of the Great Compact, plus rules for constructs, which is castles, fortifications, the dragonelles and the gravity cannon that protect um, the cities, um, the, the ships, um, and, and so on and so forth, the uh, army units and, and what have you, that's all going to be in there as well. That, that unlocks at 20k, which I, I really hope we're going we're gonna to see soon. Um, and then after that, there are things called feature cards. Um, and we have various feature card packs, which are they're, they're sets of five A5 cards containing artwork on the one side and statistics on the other and, and write-ups on the other. Um, so you have um, feature cards about personalities, feature cards about locations, artifacts, um, creatures, this kind of thing. And the idea is that you can use them as, as player aids, so you can show the artwork. You can use them as GA, GM aids, they have the statistics, but you can also use them as random encounter generators. If you want a location plus an artifact plus a, uh, a character plus a monster, you can just deal yourself four cards and there you have a ready-built encounter. Um, so these feature cards are going to be built into the Chronicler pack. No extra charge for you as we unlock them along the way. And they allow us to have interim stretch goals um, between the big books um, which we have coming. We have a big adventure called Worm Hollow Vale on the border of the um, the chaos waste up by the um, the Patek Mag maggot men in the north of the uh, autocracy. There's a big adventure there called Worm Hollow Vale. Um, there's an atlas, there's a, uh, there's a full bestiary. The, the, the core book contains bestiary information um, for the, the Korodav campaign um, and some of the venerable autocracy. Um, but the bestiary expands that to the entire Springtide civilizations. And we have an adventure series and we have um, the, the region um, packs and so on. And also um, further on, uh, I hope we'll get there. We have some uh, some uh, additional um, packs which take the fantasy genre into other areas. We have a we have a high fantasy companion, for example, which brings back the Hither Kingdoms, um, which brings in all your orcs and dwarves and elves and so on. And we have other genre packs which are, which are scheduled for later on in the campaign. I hope we get there. Um, but yeah, that's that's the, the the structure of the of the campaign. God, I. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, I, I, as you can see, we we structured it this time, so it's much easier to get into, uh, yeah. and you get actually a good a, a good a good bang for your buck. You know, the yes. um, the Chronicler pack is definitely worth a look at. You can get to the the campaign right now. It's been running since Friday. Um, the, just called the Chronicles of Future Earth Role Playing Game. Um, you can see it directly on Kickstarter or go to it from. Um, from the Mindjammer Press page or, or Facebook page and so on. Um, but please take a look. There's a, there's a free download and there's a cool video. Um, my husband, the, the Brown Dirt Cowboy, finally did the voiceover um, and the music. Um, and the music is excellent. The music is absolutely fantastic. I think that should He's be one of the stretch goals to be to, to write the symphony of Korudav or something like that. It would be amazing. Oh, well, that's cool. I'll tell him. He'll be well up for that. That's awesome. That'll be fantastic. And then Jason, Jason Juta has done some glorious artwork. Yes. I think this time he's um, we, we really did negotiate together for a long time to get this um, artwork feel just right. And he's he's really excelled himself. I'm, I'm so happy with what he's done with the artwork, look and feel. And, uh, and that video, yes, take a look. Is very good. Uh, last question, because I, I can I can see some people already getting anxious to get onto Kickstarter and they want to to, to finish mm -hmm. listening to this. Um, what is going to be the future for the line? What because this has already been done, and and I know what you are like, and you're just going to grow another pair of arms so you can write even more <laughs> for this. So what's the line going to be like in in the next few years? Uh, the Chronicles line, particularly. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, this is. Um, 
I'm hoping that it, it parallels uh, the Mindjammer line. Mindjammer is continuing as its own line. Mm -hmm. There's, a, there's a, so much more to say. Um, the Chronicles line I would like to see develop in the same vein. Um, so we're going to, first of all, we're going to fill out um, the campaign set um, in the Venerable Autocracy, um, which I would love to do. I have a, a series of adventures presenting an epic campaign, um, which is set largely in the Venerable Autocracy. Um, but we have the whole world to discover, and there are so many mysteries out there. You know, there's a there is something in um, in the in the sky called the the, the Logiadimact, which is this um, this it's basically looks like a satellite, an artificial satellite which twinkles red and silver and goes through the sky. It straight it it delineates these strange glyphs which spell something in an ancient language in the sky. There are things up there orbiting the Earth. Um, there was a disaster which destroyed um, Nyarak um, over the ocean of Tlan and left it a, a stinking ruin. There are, there's the um, ancient gods, the, the god of Demos, the god of, um, of sorcery, who united um, sorcery and divine magic into this amazing earth-shattering power, but again fell as a result, created disaster as a result. There are all these mysteries to resolve. Um, initially, let's look at the the, the first campaign in Korodav um, and in, in the, the autocracy. Let's fill out the springtide civilizations, and then let's go beyond. You know, there's there's a there's a whole slumbering world out there to wake up, and uh, I hope we'll be able to do that in the next few years. Wow. And even go off the Earth as well. There's beyond beyond the Earth. The, the moon up there is the green moon, Yala. Mm -hmm. I wrote an adventure called The Veils of Yala. Um, you know, there's there's an atmosphere up there. There are said to be people up there. Um, who knows what's up there? Other planets. Beyond the planing machines, there are worlds and dimensions. The world of Ladabran, which is the only source of steel. Um, there is there are the world of Stivos, where the Stivosian guard, who um, whose skin is covered with a kind of knobbly black fibrous material which clamps shut in vacuum tight armor and they uh, they form a uh, a sacred guard for the venerable autocrata who's this eternally reincarnating god emperor of the autocracy um in the crystal citadel of um, of kados and in return they get precious oxygen and food from the autocracy there are all these strange destinations through the planing machines to explore as well so yeah the whole slumbering cosmos what happened to to cause this huge collapse and the and the world we see around us today and that's what i hope we'll discover together oh i'm looking forward to that so so much right um <laughs> to, to finish off I, I, this has been so intense that we've had so many things going on though i think we, we feel i feel like we need to um i kind of wind down a little bit with with slightly okay. simpler questions that have absolutely nothing to do necessarily with role-playing games so uh three oh. three three weird questions um firstly What's the best advice that no one has ever given you? The best advice that no one has ever given me. Um, gosh, that's a tough one. <laughs> People are giving you so much advice. Um, I think don't wait. Do it now. Okay. Yeah. That's... Don't 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 fall back. Don't don't build your base. Just go ahead and do it right now. Someone should have told you that. Yes, definitely. All right. Um, second question. Uh, what's the best mistake you've ever made? The best mistake I've ever made? Um, gosh, that's a tough one. Again, I suppose the best mistake I've ever made. I went to Japan when I was young and I just stayed. And it was 
it was kind of it wasn't really a mistake, but it was something that just happened, and and it, and the results have been absolutely fantastic. Um, I don't know whether that was a mistake, but it was a, one of those moments in life when there are two paths in front of you, and I kind of took the one that was really interesting and curious, and and, and kind of rather than the one that was sensible. Okay, that sounds yeah, that sounds that sounds like a yeah. good mistake. Yes, I like it. I like it. I like it. Good. Uh, last question. Okay, you have a time machine. You mm -hmm. go back to uh, and see your ten years old self, and you say to yourself, "Don't do this." What is this? God, wow, these are tough questions. <laughs> you want a quick answer to that? Um, gosh, don't do this. <sighs> Oh, I, you know, I really have. <laughs> Can I get back to you in a couple of weeks on that one? Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't stop trying to play music. Okay, that's probably what I would have. It's not a big one, you know. It's not. It's not the. It's not the, the earth-shattering thing. But I, I, I gave up on 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 trying to learn music when I was young because I was told I was no good. Oh, and I wish I'd just carried on. And it wouldn't have changed. You know, I was never going to become a concert pianist or anything. But it would have been really nice to, um, to be able to bang out a tune from time to time. It's a silly little thing. But, no, it's um, important. It's important. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Uh, those are difficult questions. I want warning for those questions. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for, for being with me today. Thanks for having um, and, and seriously, thank you for getting this game out. Uh, because it's... Um, it's, it's important to me. It really is important to me because uh, those were some very good sessions. Um, meeting you was, um, and the way that we, we, we met at the time and everything was, was quite an important event in my life. So now uh, this is an important game. So thank you for making all this effort and, and getting it like out. I'm and, well, thank you also, Paco, for contributing to the setting. I mean, I think if we hadn't had those sessions early on, if we hadn't crystallized the setting and if your enthusiasm hadn't constantly come back asking about that library of crumbling books and uh, all of those adventures that we had, uh, you know, maybe the would never have happened so I, I, I'm really chuffed that you know 20 years on we're, we're actually going to be producing that game that we started playing together that's so cool so cool indeed and that's it for now please 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 uh, go and check the Kickstarter for Chronicles of Future Earth because I, I, oh please just do it, seriously, just do it. Uh, do yourself a favor and, and do it. Thank you very much indeed for listening. The music, the opening music, is London Caves by Astro Doors, and the outro music. I must admit, I have no idea. I got it from a very old video game called Omega Boost for the PlayStation One, a game that I still remember quite fondly. And I have no idea. I have tried to shazam it, and it doesn't work for me. So, if you know who they are, I would very much appreciate it if you could tell me. Have you uh, anything to say about the podcast? Please send me your opinions. It truly means an awful lot, and I want to improve so you can get a better experience. So let me know what you think, let me know what you like, let me know what you dislike. You can find me in Twitter, I am at GMS Magazine. Please feel free to say hello in Facebook, you're always seriously more than welcome. And if you are so inclined, email me at podcast at gmsmagazine.com. Thank you once again for being there, and I'll talk to you very soon.